You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. This morning, um, it's not a Christmas message, unfortunately. Or fortunately, I think it's fortunately, because I think God has a word here this morning for you that's important. And uh, the title of the sermon today is A Living Sacrifice. And uh, today I wanted to begin by quoting the primary scripture that is a scripture that I used a couple weeks ago in one of my messages. This is kind of a secondary message to that one. And it's uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. But I'd like to read it first here through the message. And later when we look at the scripture, we're going to look at it in the amplified version. Uh, So here it is in the message. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take every day of your ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the absolute best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants you to do and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you that's always dragging you to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and will develop well-formed maturity in you. This morning, we're going to be talking about maturity. And we're going to be talking about how a matured life in Christ is a life that is a living sacrifice. And uh, we're also going to be talking about the connection between our mind and our heart. And this passage of Scripture, Paul is clearly instructing Rome here, Um, that there's a distinction here, but that there's a link between our mind and our heart and that the church needs to be different than the culture around us, that there's a distinct difference. There's a holiness about the church that needs to be separated and, and set apart from the culture, but at the same time, we need to be in the culture, interacting with the culture, bringing what God has given us to the world around us. And so, It's not about digging a hole and hiding in it. It's about separating yourself for the fact of preparing yourself with what God has for you so that you can come with power and authority and wisdom and discernment into the world to be able to apply that which God is showing you, to be able to bring the gift, whether it's of Jesus Christ, to the world around us. Um, You know, often... A problem that we have begins with our way of thinking. (coughs) You know, sometimes um, we can come to church and pursue a relationship with God, but our focus and our motivation is sometimes a little bit iffy. It's not that we're unwilling to give God our time or serve him or contribute to church. (coughs) Excuse me. I have a bit of bit of a tickle in my throat this morning. I was singing a little too much. 
exhausted my throat before I even started speaking. So it's not that people aren't willing to contribute, but it's necessary to take an inventory of our life and our motivation for doing certain things. And I really believe this, that motivation matters, that God cares more about what's motivating us to action than the actual action itself. There are plenty of good things that we can be doing in the world, but our motive behind what we're doing is really what's important and what God judges in our life. Um, God isn't like man. He doesn't look just at the outward expressions of our life and judge us on that, but he sees our heart and our mind, and he takes that into account. And the motivation for our actions, even even some of those things that seem the most spiritual. I'm just going to open with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you modeled for us, God, what it means to be fully surrendered to God, be fully surrendered to the will of your Father. And God, you showed us what it means to be the physical sacrifice, God, for our sin. But God, you demonstrated, Jesus, how you want us to live through your life as we have recorded in the word of God. And so, Lord, this morning I pray, God, that your word would come into our heart. Lord, that it would impact our mind and our hearts this morning. Lord, that, God, we would chew on this this morning. There wouldn't be something that just comes in one ear and out the other. But, God, that we would contemplate it, that we would meditate on this word this morning throughout this week. God, that it would transform us and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, sacrifice. It's a word that we don't really like to hear that much in our culture. I don't think, I don't know too many people that just love to sacrifice all the time, especially for no good reason. But scripturally, most commonly when you hear the word sacrifice, it's often referring to a physical sacrifice where they would take an animal, usually a lamb or a goat, and they would slaughter it as an offering to God. And this would happen every year at Passover. And uh, Passover is kind of a really cool, cool thing because it's like a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do. We now, knowing what we know about who Jesus is, can look at the Passover from Exodus 12, and we can just see all this amazing imagery and foretelling of what God was going to do through the person of Jesus Christ. And um, basically what they did was God ordered the people at Passover. So if you guys remember the Passover story, <coughs> so the people had been enslaved. The people of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And God raises up Moses. What do you have there? Cough drops. Amazing. If you weren't already hired, I'd hire you. Oh, Cheryl, I'll hire you too. No. Thank you so much. This will help me, I think. I hope. If I can get them out. Thank you. Tis the season. <laughs> so God uh, calls forth Moses to go back to the land of e- to Egypt and to go to Pharaoh and demand that he let his people go. 
And um, God brings a series of nine plagues upon Egypt. And Pharaoh, in his hard-heartedness, says, nope, I'm not letting your people go. And uh, finally, the tenth plague is about to come, and God orders Aaron and Moses, tells them to, and commands them to go to the people and tell them to, on the tenth day of the month, to choose a lamb or a goat that's unblemished, that's male, has no broken bones or deformity, and to take it and to tend to it until the 14th. And at twilight on that day, they were to slaughter their lamb and to capture the blood and to put it on the lintel, which is basically the doorpost, doorframe of the house, and partake of this lamb and eat it but cook it only over roasted fire, over roasted fire. They were to be prepared, ready to go. They had to wear their sandals and have staff in hand. And um, they were to eat it all. And what they didn't eat, they were supposed to burn. The entire offering was to be consumed before the following morning. And, uh, well, we know the story. The spirit of God comes, the spirit of death, the angel of death comes and kills the firstborn in Egypt, even the animals, firstborn of the animals, were slaughtered overnight. And anybody that was behind the blood of the lamb was spared. That the spirit of death went over them. And they were saved, saved by this plague, saved by God's judgment. And this was a very, very, very special thing that happened. And this was really kind of an early forming thing for the nation of Israel, an important thing, which Jews all over the world still practice to this day. And, um, but it's an important thing is that once again, one of those rituals, one of those rituals that has significance and importance that sometimes for, for some of us, we can, can lose the understanding of where it comes from. But today I'm not going to be mostly speaking about that form of sacrifice, mainly because Jesus was the final sacrifice. And God doesn't demand that we go to an altar and cut our throats and sacrifice ourselves. He already did that for us. So that's not the type of sacrifice that Paul is referring to here in the book of Romans. He's talking about a living sacrifice. And uh, today I'll maybe define it as this. It's an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. And the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. It's surrendering what is valuable to us in exchange for God's plan, his purposes, and a relationship with him that's unparalleled to anything that the world can possibly give us. See, unfortunately, many of us do not at all times take this living sacrifice idea and apply it to our faith and apply it to the way that we live out our faith. And sometimes we approach Sunday mornings where our faith um, in our modern context more as a way, you know, we evaluate church not in what we can give to it, but more from what it gives to us. You know, and... Um, you know, John MacArthur once said, the Christian life is not dependent on what you gain from God, but it's dependent on what you give to him. And so Christ has called us to follow him. And 
This is a major life shift. I don't know if you've ever played Following the Leader. It's maybe a game you played with your kids or maybe you played it when you were a youngster yourself. But when you were following one leader and all of a sudden the leader changed, you're following somebody completely different. It looks completely different from the person you were just following. There's a drastic difference there. But unless they had a clone or something, you know, to following the leader, you're not sure where to go. But when you're following somebody, you're taking cues from them. And as Christians, we should all be Christ followers. We're called to follow Christ, which means we're not paving our own path, paving our own way, building a road where there is no road. Christ is the road, and we're following his road and being obedient to that which he's calling us to every day, every moment of our life. That is the goal. You know, but sometimes within the church, um, we lose track of that. It's like we feel like we need to make something happen. You know, a healthy church is one that has people who can see past the tree of self and can see how they fit into the wider forest of the church. And as long as we evaluate a church based on what we perceive to get from it and how it serves us rather than what we can bring to it and what role God is calling us to play in it, we're always going to be dissatisfied with any church you go to. You see, the Christian life, it's, it's not a philosophy, it's not a self-help program, it's not a pointless ritual. It's a family. And we as Christian brothers and sisters in Christ have a heavenly Father who loves us. And we're not left alone. He's given us a plan. He's given us a path to follow. And it's our job to, to follow that to the best of our ability. And the best of our ability isn't much. But when Holy Spirit fills our life and he empowers us, we can do all things through Christ because he is our strength and he gives us that strength. It's not, we're not out there just sludging through the mud in our own strength. God helps us to accomplish it. See, Christianity is not simply a road to God, but it is the road to God. It's the way to the God Almighty it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, in the book of John, he refers to him as the word, which means logos or knowledge, that the knowledge of the universe, the great eternal knowledge of God became flesh. And it's about our relationship with God. And Jesus, like I said, it's not just a way to God. He is the way to God, and he is God. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'd just like to go to the text again, Romans 12, 1 to 2. And um, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, in brackets here, if you've never read the Amplified version of the Bible, the brackets are what they add to give context there. Sometimes, um, anyhow, um, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. So what does it look like to dedicate your whole self to God? Actually, I was just saying this to uh, Leo and Annette this morning. Have you ever been to a memorial site? 
of any kind. Could be maybe a military memorial. Um, it could be a memorial about a uh, important person, maybe like the first prime minister, or maybe you've been down to the states to Washington. You've seen some of those big memorials of some of the presidents of the United States. But a memorial is a very cool place to go, and anyone that's ever been one, been to one, would see that they're designed in a very specific way to reflect and commemorate that which it was designed to commemorate. And so the way that it's designed is to bring focus and attention onto what's being memorialized. For us as Christians, everything that we do and everything that we say, our thoughts and our actions are meant to glorify God. That our heart and intention should be to bring glory to God. We are dedicated to making Jesus famous. It's another way to say that. That our goal is to make Jesus famous in the world. And a living sacrifice is what we're called to be. And a living sacrifice is holy. It says it's well-pleasing to God. Holy means set apart, dedicated towards. Christ was the final sacrifice for us, and because of the cross, we are saved. We are born again, and we have eternal life with him. But in exchange, Jesus calls us to follow him lay aside our selfish ambition and to live as a sacrifice to God where everything that we think, say, do and enact in the world is an act of worship. We come to church on Sunday and we sing songs. But worship is so much more than a song. Our whole life should be worship to God. Our thought life, our prayer life this very message being preached should be an act of worship to God. But the problem is we like to decompose, we like to, comp- cart- what's the word, cart, cart, yes, you know it. I want to say decart, oh, I can't even say it now. I should practice my tongue twisters. But you know what I'm saying? We like to break our life up into little chunks. And um, sometimes the part of our life that's our spiritual box sometimes gets the least attention in the week. Maybe we're well-intentioned. We want to get to it. But unfortunately, it's something that, we, that often gets the least attention. Even though in our head, we know we want it to have more. And it's because we compartmentalize. There we go. Compartmentalize our life. But our spiritual life is not something that's ever meant to be compartmentalized. God wants to permeate our whole being. It's like a bottle of sweet perfume. If I were to start spraying it over here, it wouldn't take long for you guys over in the sound booth in the far corner to begin to start smelling it. It's kind of what it's like. God diffuses into every area of our life if we let him. He wants to. He wants to be Lord of our life. But sometimes we make him Lord of our Sunday. Or maybe Lord of our Sunday from 10 to 12. Those two hours, God's got me. But the rest of the week, it's my, my time. It's almost like clocking in and clocking out of the factory or something. 
But that's not what God ever planned for the church. We were meant to be, like Hayward said last week, abiding in Christ, living in him and with him, being filled with his spirit and his presence. Every single day living in communion with him. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is an act of worship. Moving on here on this scripture, it says, transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. Paul's communicating to us that there is a connection between our spiritual health and maturity. There's also a connection between our mind and our maturity. As you are transformed, or as it has in brackets, progressively changed, which means continually being changed, our mind is renewed and we mature. You know, the difference between someone who is mature and someone who is immature is quite, it's quite stark, isn't it? Have you ever had somebody tell you to act your age? I haven't. Oh, I'm joking. I definitely have. It's usually my mother. One time I may have said back to her, act your age. And she started going like this. Pretending like she was 90 or something, and I'm like, well, yeah. She was gracious that day. She could have smacked me for that one. But there's a difference between a mature person and an immature person. There's a difference between... No, I'm not going to say that. That's maturity right there, folks. Yeah. Think about the foolish things you said and did as a youth, not just what I almost said there. Um, you know, I'm sure many of you have some things that you would like do-overs for. I know I certainly do. You know, and I think a lot of times immaturity comes when we're entirely led by emotion and we lose sight of what grounds us as people. And, you know, you look at someone who's immature, like an immature child, like my little girl, and sometimes she wants something when she wants it, and emotions ramp up, and it's like she doesn't have the capacity to calm herself down in that moment. It's like bizarre. So, like, I'll give you an example. Just last night, we said it's almost time for bed. And she said, okay, can we read one more book? We said, okay, you can read one more book. And we got to the end of that book, and she said, one more book. Rhea said, one more book. And she said, okay, two more books? Rhea said, no, one more book. She said, three more books? Rhea said, no, just one more book. She said, okay, all the books. Rhea's like, no, there's one more book. And so she read that one book. And Sophia jumps off the couch and grabs a mini hockey stick and a ball and just starts thinking she's Connor McDavid or something, just starts whirling around the kitchen, and Rhea's like, no, we said it's time for bed, and she went to go grab her, and she just deeks like crazy and just started going. I'm like, she's going to be the next, you know, hockey star, and all of a sudden, Rhea grabs her, and she just starts screaming at the top of her lungs, and I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. In that moment, she's entirely just filled with emotion. 
Like, she's not rationally thinking it out. Like, if I do this, I'll get an extra, like, one more book. That was the rational saying, okay, maybe I can convince her to one more book. But the lashing out is not helping her at all. But in that moment, that's all she knows what to do. She has this bundle of emotion built up, and that's how she lets it out. And she's learning to moderate her emotions, but at this stage, she can't. And so, you know, immaturity is being led entirely by emotion and being unpegged from the thing that gives us our foundation. It's doing what feels good in the moment without regard for others or consequences. And when someone says, quit act, start acting your age, that's really what they're saying, you know, is start thinking about someone else other than just yourself for a minute here. Um, and I think that comes with age and maturity as well, that there's a season in our development as people, as human beings, and which is about ourselves. But there has to become a place where we grow outside of ourselves and begin to look at others, the impact that our lives have on other people, and the way that we fit into the lives of other people. And that's something that happens with maturity. And when we don't have that step take place, we've got societal problems taking place, or problems within a family unit. Immaturity can also be the constant need for affirmation from others and not being able to just take it and receive it from God. Immaturity can look like selfishness or self-seeking, constant self-affirming. And in our North American culture, sometimes it is the act of worship itself. It's the worship of self. And so it's something we have to guard our heart against because it's all around us all the time. Paul in Romans 12 is saying that if we are going to mature spiritually, then we must have a renewed mind. If we need a renewed mind, it means that our natural fleshly mind is not going to get us to where God wants us to go. It means we need a mind transplant. We need to stop seeing things from a worldly perspective and start seeing things from a heavenly perspective. It means we need a paradigm shift. I don't know if any of you have ever, if you are people who swim with their eyes open. Are there any eye-open people that swim with their eyes open? So everyone else in here, if you were to dive under the water, your eyes are like this because you don't want to get anything in your eyes. I used to swim all the time as a kid with my eyes open. And I had a dorky friend that always used to have the gigantic goggles. And I thought I was too cool for school, so I would never wear these goggles because I thought he just looked ridiculous. And then one day he was like, he was coming up, and we lived, lived in a little lake community and it wasn't really clear water and it wasn't very nice, so you couldn't see, like you could hardly see my face here underwater, but I didn't care, it was fun. And one day, he was kept pulling all this stuff, cool stuff out of the water. And I'm like, how are you even seeing this stuff? And then I put on his goggles, and it was like a whole new world. The things you could see, it was like, almost like there was like a spotlight on the end of these goggles that just opened up the bottom of this lake. And you could see all the little toys that had fallen down. You could find coins and money and all sorts of things. And after that, well be honest, I still wouldn't wear them unless no one else was around. But I did get myself a pair, and I'd go and I'd start diving underwater just to start collecting things. I was like a little hoarder, and it was wonderful. I loved it. But that's almost what we need. It's like we need 
our eyes opened. But the problem is we have our fleshly natural eyes in which we see everything. And then there's this spiritual battle happening around us that we can't see. But then there'll be moments where God will begin to give us glimpses of what's happening. And depending on what we do with those glimpses, God might give us more. Do you know that, that God will give more to those who take what God gives them and runs with it and are faithful to that which God gives them? That there are good stewards and bad stewards? There are people that take what God gives them and they just bury it in the ground out of fear? And there are other stewards that take what God gives them and they seek out inspiration to allow it to grow and be fruitful and to expand and to multiply and have greater influence on the earth. That it's not just a practical thing, but it's a spiritual thing that has practical implications in our day-to-day life. So I'll go back here. Transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. So we mature spiritually as our minds are renewed. And this is the last bit of the verse here. It says, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. As living sacrifices, we can't separate God from different areas of our lives. We need to invite him into every part of our lives, even the boring parts We can sing a song of praise in the shower. God wants all of us, the whole of our entire being and our minds and our hearts, not just the scraps off the table of our week. He wants to be involved in our interactions at work, when we're at the store, when we're at church. He wants us to reflect his glory in everything that we do. And so the clothes that we wear relay a message to the world around us. The words that we speak and the persona that we build on social media all reflect who we are and who we represent. And it tells the world what's important to you. So this morning I just have a question. What is the the message that you choose to project to the world? And secondly, what is the motivation for projecting it? You know, when YouTube began, it had a slogan. I don't know if any of you know the slogan. It was broadcast yourself. And um, this idea of broadcasting yourself was the hope that people like you and I would go and create content because we would want to share ourselves with the world. And then they would capitalize on it by selling marketing. So they don't have to do any of the content creation. We do that for free. And then they just get to set up an ad campaign and make millions of dollars. That's the idea, that we would upload our content on our time, on our dollar, and YouTube would exploit it. Um, You know, I think for us as Christians, we just need to be intentional about the things that we we say and do. And um, think about 
the motivation for why we do it. You know, near the end of the second verse here in 12, we read that it says that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And this is often one of the quintessential questions that people have. What is God's will for my life? I don't know if that's a question you've ever asked of yourself or asked of somebody else. And um, Hayward touched a little bit on this last week when he said that everything we need to know about how to live a God-glorifying life is found in the Word of God. And that we need to seek it out in the Word ourselves. That we need to know it. That we need to own it. That we need to make it part of who we are. That we need to get into God's presence, spend time in prayer. And when we do those things, we will know God's will. We'll have to stop asking. We, we don't need to keep asking what is God's will. In a moment, you will know because you'll know what God's word says for that situation in that moment. And then when you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, you have confirmation with the word of God. But the problem is if the word of God's not there and you just have a feeling sometimes, how do you weigh that feeling or know if it's right or wrong? Well, the one way that you can always know is it in alignment with the word of God. And if it is, well... If you're feeling it and aligns with God's word, step out and do it and see what happens. But if you have an idea to do something and it's like, oh, this is, I get the first thing is six scriptures popping in my head of why maybe you shouldn't do it. Maybe we shouldn't do it. Just a thought. But the problem is, if we're Bible illiterate, we don't know any word, how do we judge, how do we know when to act and when not to act? How do we learn to discern a prompting from God or a prompting just have a good idea of my own head. And this is where discernment comes in. But we lack discernment if we don't know the word of God. We lack it. And we'll, we'll be flailing spiritually if we don't know it and have it. There's a few words here from this Romans 12, 1 to 2 here in the slide that you can see right now stand out to me. One is focus, and the other is attitude. Because when we focus on God, and we have the right attitude, our next step will come into focus. But the problem is, if you focus on God with a horrible attitude, or you have a wonderful attitude, but you forget about God, you're probably going to feel the need to constantly be asking people, what do you think God's will is for my life? But when you focus on God and you come to him humbly in the right attitude, amazing things happen. The will of God all of a sudden becomes clear for you and your life. But if we get distracted and we focus on the distractions of life, we're focused on ourselves, and we don't think about the big picture, then we're not likely going to be living in the right attitude or have a strong spiritual life. We'll get discouraged and we'll, we'll quit. You know, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, that we focus on with young people is constantly remembering that it's about God, that it's about Jesus. It's not about us. Because sometimes what happens is you get moving with God, and all of a sudden we, yes, God, we have this personal relationship with God, but the lens that we're always viewing things are through this selfish lens of, of me, 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 oh, and me. 
and we miss out on things because we're not actually focused on Jesus anymore. It's always calculating things based on how it affects me. But that's not how we're supposed to live our life, figuring out how to calculate something so that it'll best work out for me. Our focus needs to be on Jesus, learning to hear God's voice and discern his voice, and worrying about how it affects God, how our actions, how our thought life, how our things align with God and his will for our life. And the more that we can keep that focus on God and not ourselves, amazing things will happen. The issue, I think, too, that we have, the reason why it's so hard is, is we get caught up with a heart problem. You know, a lot of times in Scripture when it talks about the heart, a lot of times, like, the mind and the heart are connected. Like, sometimes they can almost be used interchangeably in some instances. And we're called to be living sacrifices. And our goal is to be in alignment with God's plan and will for our lives. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we struggle as emotional human beings because we want to follow our heart, like I said, but when we don't have enough word in us to be able to discern things properly. You know, at Christmas, I was, you know, we had a little staff Christmas party, and so we had one of those, I don't know what you call them, Christmas poppers, crackers, Christmas crackers, and uh, my little gift inside, well, I got a little joke and a little compass, and uh, I just love this little thing. I just pick it up, and I play with it, and, you know, I, I, I knew which way north was, and I went, and I was playing with it, and I realized, oh, I was off. I thought north was, like, there, and it's actually, like, over here. I'm really glad that I wasn't uh, trusting on my navigation to get somewhere. But um, when we're filled with God and our lives are surrendered to God and we're seeking God's will and we're reading his word and we're abiding in Christ, all of a sudden things will come into focus. But the problem is if we're led by our feelings without that, it's like using a compass that's faulty. It's like trying to follow a compass that's not quite leading north. And we might not end up where we think we're going by the time we get there if our foundation is not solid. The Bible said there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it's a way that leads to death. We need to learn to trust the Lord and lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in everything, in every decision, in every thought, in every decision-making that we, that we undertake. And he promises to make our path straight. And it's like I read at the very beginning. It's about inviting Jesus into the everyday, ordinary parts of our life in which we often forget about him. And we need to guard our heart which means to protect ourselves from anything that could corrupt or entangle us and pull us away from the will of God. Mark 7, 14 says, There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the thing which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. You hear in Mark 7, I'll, I'll read it for you just to give you some context. 
It says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come out of Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples were eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they were unwashed. Do your children ever do that? The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups, pitchers, and kettles, etc. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with their defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it was written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. A little bit farther down in this conversation, Jesus reiterates his point again. He says, that which proceeds out of man, that which is that which defiles a man, is from within. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, of wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And all these things proceed from within and defile the man. We serve a God that is concerned about the condition of our heart. He's concerned about our motivation. He cares about what motivates our service to him and to others. We can do seemingly all the right things and do it for the wrong reason. And God will not credit it towards us. Religiousness is not what pleases God. But what we have to understand is that our heart is naturally inclined towards evil. It's something that I've had to fight against intellectually my whole Christian life because my whole life I thought I was good. I'd been told my nature was good. And this was something that even when I first became a Christian, this was what hindered me, was I'm like, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I couldn't wrap my head around it. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is despicably sick. Who can understand it? You know, the problem is our feelings, our heart can lead us astray. It can lead us over here when God wants us over here. It can cause us to become discontented with things because our focus has left Jesus and is, now the spotlight is on ourselves. We have to guard our hearts and therefore our minds if we are not going to be conformed to the world. We must be careful about who we allow to speak into our lives and what we allow into our minds. The things that we read, the things that we watch. You know, and this includes the people that we spend the, our, the most time with. And it's incredibly important to all of us, but especially to new believers. When you are a new believer, you want to spend time with people who are solid in the Word of God, people who will encourage you and lift you up, people who will help you walk on the narrow path. And um, especially, too, if you're somebody who has repetitive cycles of sin and addiction and unhealthy life patterns, this is incredibly important for you 
that you need to find people that have the healthy life patterns that you desire to have and almost explicitly spend time with those people. And the people that have the behaviors and the things that you're trying to flee from should not be the people you're hanging out with on a Friday night. Or you're never going to be able to overcome it. You know that old age saying that you become with those who you most associate with? You know, your probably grade three teacher told you that and your mother when she's telling you which kids to choose to play with on the playground is so true. We become like those who we spend time with. Likewise, the more time we spend with God, the more we become like him. The more time we spend with godly people, the more we become like him. The more we hear the word of God spoken into our lives, the more we become like him. Somebody that I absolutely love spending time with is Frank Poirier. Because that man can't even say a sentence without it being scripture. I don't even know. Everything is scripture. It's like he has the whole Bible just on repeat. And it's amazing to me how he just can pull scripture into every circumstance. Like there's, there's not a single life situation in which he doesn't have a scripture for it. And I find it so inspiring, so inspiring, that every time I walk away from him, just instantly I think, I need to go find my Bible and start memorizing some scripture here. He can literally just, you can just start quoting a scripture and he can probably finish the whole rest of the book for you. That's how much he has it inside of him. And it just amazes me, absolutely amazes me. But it's incredibly important for us that we guard our hearts, that we guard the entrance to our soul, which is our eyes, and we guard our time as well. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I heard that my whole life. I never knew that was scripture. Isn't it amazing how much even scripture is still embedded in our culture and sayings? The golden rule. I knew that my whole life. I didn't know that was scripture either until I got saved. You know, Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We have to make sure that those we spend time with are beneficial to our spiritual life. And if it's not, then we just have to change it. It seems easy, but it's hard. It's hard to disconnect from people sometimes that you love and like, but that you need separation from sometimes. And I know even for myself, I had this situation where I grew up in a completely secular home where I had a completely secular friends at public high school and there was a group of my friends at school that I had to start disassociating from because the way that they were going and the life I was going were completely opposites. And so after about the millionth time of turning down going to this party or going to Cam's house or going here and going there, they just stopped inviting me. But I had to make that intentional, well, I was intentional after three or four times saying, oh, okay, I never spent time with you. I guess I'll give you one night. It's not good. One night sometimes is all it takes to derail years worth a spiritual growth and to bring you from here to here and make you want to go hide in a hole and run away from God in the church because you feel so ashamed about yourself. But we don't have to do that. 
we have the choice about what we do, what we let into our life, who we allow to speak into our life, what we end up doing. And, um, but first, we've got to focus on Jesus and pleasing him and being okay letting some people down if it means that you're pleasing God. We have to know who our God is first and choose to serve that God. The Bible talks a lot about the heart of man. It's linked with the mind. And I have a question for you this morning. What do you find yourself thinking about the most often? What occupies your mind when you're by yourself? When you're in the garage tinkering on your bike or your car? Or you're cleaning the house? Or you're making supper for your family? Or you're driving to work? What occupies your mind? What kind of thoughts? Are they God-honoring thoughts? Are they depressing thoughts? Is your self-talk almost completely negative, self-hatred type self-talk? Or is it uplifting? Is it speaking truth? Is it speaking life to your soul and your spirit? Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, right and pure, whatever is lovely, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I think sometimes one of the reasons that we come to church and we come and gather together and we don't feel like praising is because we've had so much negativity all week in our minds. But if you have been praising God in your mind, in your thought life all week, this should just be like, oh, the release time. Because it's not just you anymore. It's like, the power of the whole congregation seeing and praising God together. That's an amazing thing. But when we beat ourselves up all week long with this negative self-talk and negativity and lies and deception and fear, we're coming in in chains. It takes the first song or two just to begin to loosen them. By the third song, then maybe you're starting to break apart and then you get to hear announcements. Probably the best part of the, the morning, isn't it? But imagine what a Sunday morning would be like if we came in with no chains. We came in with a week where God had been on our mind all week. We'd been commuting with God the Father throughout the week. The Holy Spirit had been revealing things to us and in our self-talk and in the car ride we're singing hymns and and, and songs that are honoring God. And when those people come across our path and cross us, you know, and, and almost cause an accident in front of you, you pray for them and you bless them rather than curse them. And then you let it go as if it never happened. You know, I think sometimes we just get in these repetitive thought cycles that derail our weeks and our thought life and our prayer life. And it takes us a while to get back into it. But if we can prevent ourselves from going there in the first place, we're already halfway there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, last week, Pastor Hayward talked about the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. And there's a real thing that there's spiritual realms that are battling all the time. That are trying to prevent our church from fulfilling the vision that God has for us. Preventing the mission of the church 
which is the same mission of every church, which is to go into the world and to share the gospel with those who are lost. That when we focus on things that are not that, we get derailed. And our need for prayer this year. You know, we need to stand together this year going into the new year in prayer. And we need to avoid getting sucked back into error and to trouble. And one way that I suggest we do that together is Second Corinthians 10.5. Thank God just to destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. It's something we can do, church. It's not just a great thought, but he's given us the tools. And if you don't remember, last week Hayward talked about the armor of God, but how we have to have the whole armor. When we have the whole armor, we can do this. But we need to be able to call it out when it's there. And we need to be able to take those, cap, those thoughts captive and submit it to the truth. And that's why we need to know the word of God, to be able to spot the lie and to replace it with that which is true. So where do we begin? We'll begin to guard our hearts and our minds. For how can a man, young man keep his way pure? Well, by keeping it according to your word. So that has to be our foundation. A little bit farther along here in Psalms 119, verse 11, it says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And do you know what? An amazing thing happens. When you stop sinning against God, you stop sinning against other people too. And all of a sudden, the conflict in relationships seems to cease. Your relationships are better that your relationship with God is foundational to every other relationship in your life. The better relationship you have with Jesus, the more you look like him, the more peace and tranquility you're going to have in your everyday relationships. They go hand in hand. And lastly, I'm going to finish off with this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord God, I pray, God, that we would be people who choose to be a living sacrifice for you. God, I pray that we would set our minds straight. Lord, that you would be the focus and the intention of everything we do. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would show us the areas of our life where we're weak. God, the areas where we falter. God, that you'd show us our blind spots. God, I pray, Lord, that we would press into you, Lord, that we would find a new joy like we've never had before. And that, God, we would find our strength in you. God, I thank you for what you're going to do here in Cold Lake over this next 12 months. But God, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be distracted. Lord God, that we would tackle this year, God, with intention. That we would come out on the weeks, 
on the whole week of the 6th to the 12th with an expectation to just come before you to check our hearts, to repent of that which has gone wrong, and to turn back to the right way, your way, God. That we would be a people who follow you even when life gets hard. So God, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, this morning. I pray for every person here in need. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd bring solution to their need. And God, I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged, that we would leave here knowing who our Savior and who our God is. And Lord, that we would know that we are no longer slaves to the thinking of the world, but God, that we have the word of God to guide us and lead us and your amazing Holy Spirit who is to affirm that which we are to do and say, God, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. May we see it more and more in operation in our lives, God, as we seek and do your will and as we walk in obedience to you. So God, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.